If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a review and tap the follow button so that you never miss an episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Monday, the best night of the week. You know what that means? It's time for another episode of RFRX, your prescription for coping. I'm Kara. I'm your host, and I have with me the wonderful, the amazing, the 20% cooler, fearless psychic, Helen Green. Helen, how are you doing? I am doing wonderful. How are you doing, my friend Kara? <laughs> I am doing well. I am glad to be here and super excited about this evening. I mean, I'm always super excited about our speakers. But... Well, it's never a boring evening. You know, we definitely, you know, learn a bunch of things and have interesting conversations and stuff. So it's never boring. That's what makes no. Monday nights amazing. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And and the fact that we're 20% cooler for the episodes mm -hmm. that you're here on. Yep, that's it's my goal that. to, to <laughs> extend my coolness to others and spread it around. <laughs> and we appreciate that, that, that act of service. <laughs> I know. That's why, that's why I'm here. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Without further ado, Helen, would you like to introduce our speaker? This I evening? would. So, um, Aaron is a host of the Colin show truths wanted with, with the atheist community of Austin, where the talk to people what, about what they believe and why. She grew up in a charismatic Pentecost, Pentecostal family, words, and did it all. The, the Sunday school, I was Bible memorization. I have no idea what that is. I, I am curious now. I um, do. Oh, see, <laughs> us Catholics don't have that. Youth groups, purity rings, summer camps, faith healing, and speaking in tongues. Awesome. <laughs> she did a long-term missionary work, played worship bands, and even went to Bible college for a while. In 2019, she, um, now married with two kids, she deconstructed her faith completely and became an atheist. She first started sharing her story anonymously online, which quickly turned into her into her in her into her becoming an outspoken atheist activist <laughs> she now hosts a call-in show call and is the most and is an active member of many online and in-person atheist organizations her journey from christianity to to an atheist activist has meant looking back and dissecting the harm caused by extreme supernatural beliefs now she continues to share her experiences and tries to help others and to think deeply about what they believe and why. So welcome, Erin. I am sorry if I kind of butchered that. <laughs> Words are hard. Um, you can Did go ahead great. and unmute yourself. Oh, okay. Oh, hi. Thank you. That was that was great. I enjoyed that a lot. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me and having me on tonight. I am really happy to be here. And we are super happy to have you. I have been looking forward to this episode for a while, so I cannot wait. I'm it's super pumped about it. <laughs> we did plan it a while ago, so I'm glad. I'm glad it's finally here, too. Yes. And for people who don't know you, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you uh, you ended up here after... <laughs> after all of what Helen described. Yeah, I, so as Helen mentioned, like I grew up in a, in a charismatic Pentecostal family here in Canada. So it was like very um, energetic uh, kind of worship services where we emphasize a lot on like spiritual life, spiritual warfare, speaking in tongues, faith healing, all of that. Um, so that was my primary kind of upbringing. And then as I moved away, like as I moved literally away from my hometown, I did end up kind of in a more, um, I guess I would say like more of a balanced kind of 
Christianity, if you can say that from this point. But in my mind, I left the more extreme kind of versions of, of a charismatic religion and I moved into kind of just a more um, seeker, seeker sensitive kind of churches where it was emphasis on music and small groups and that sort of thing. Um, I did get married when I was 20 and I will share a little bit more about that later on for a short time. Um, I'm not married to that person any longer and I was involved a lot with like the nine, early 90s or late 90s purity culture and purity rings and all of that. I never went to a purity ball. I get asked that a lot. I never went to the ball itself, but I did have a purity ring that had my parents' birthstones on it and my birthstone on it. So very creepy. Um, but I, I, I am married with two kids now. And so when my uh, eldest was about eight years old, I started my deconstruction and it just went all the way out. I, I did take a little, um, a little dive into some su like supernatural new age beliefs, but then I realized that it was the same, same thing, different, <laughs> different labels. And then I, I ended up being all the way out. Um, from there, I, I did have kind of like, I, I didn't have a community like this. I didn't know where to go. Cause I, I did it all by myself and no one else in my family or none of my friends had, uh, gone through this process. It was just very much a, a solitary, a solitary experience. So I went online and, and initially I started kind of sharing my story on Twitter. <laughs> I did have my kind of moment where I was on Twitter, um, just, you know, expressing myself and I ended up getting some followers there and then I eventually came out as I showed my face I, I shared my name and um and then it snowballed from there um and then now I, I you know about uh eight months later I was I was doing a call-in show on the atheist community of Austin so <laughs> there's a little bit more in between that but that's that's the the quick version of it man you and Stacy both y'all caught on quick <laughs> <clears throat> yes yeah you had my sister-in-law on a couple of weeks ago I think um, our story is funny. I don't know if she mentioned it. She and I did not go through this together. I didn't influence her at all. I did not lead her to hell. I had my own thing going on. And I actually, I actually spent a lot of time hiding that part of my life online to like my extended family. Um, but she went through her own process and she ended up finding my stuff because if you look, you can find it. So, uh, and then she, yeah, it was a wild day. I got a text message from her and she's like, you're never going to guess. <laughs> so yeah, I, do I imagine that was that was probably not what you were expecting the nature of that text message to be about. No, not at all, especially especially from her. <laughs> yeah. Stranger things have happened. Yep. <laughs> well, I am super excited to have you here this week and uh, especially for our episode this evening. So uh, for a little bit of context, you know, we've been talking about various aspects of love and relationships this month on RFRX to highlight some of the ways that for some of us, our religious beliefs may have limited our options or made us feel ashamed about our desires or ourselves. And so this week, we're going to continue that conversation and talk about one of my favorite topics, which I found out is maybe one of your favorite topics too, yep. books. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and uh, so we've talked a lot about some of the more widely read purity culture books of the 90s, like True Love Waits on other episodes, um, like we have a purity culture episode. Um, so we don't have to go super deep into that this time around. But I'm wondering, Aaron, what are some of the other Christian marriage books that you were exposed to? And were any of them particularly impactful for you? 
Yes. So I, I, there's so many to choose from, but I have chosen three books that I want to talk about tonight. Um, and I, I'm talking from my frame of reference. I've been in a long-term um, monogamous relationship for a long time. And so there was a lot of that influence for many, many years. Um, obviously I was a Christian at the time, so I would reach, you know, I would look out for Christian advice and I was given a lot of Christian uh, marriage and relationship books for a long time. So I have three books I want to talk about tonight. It was really, it was hard to pin it down, but these three, I think had the most impact on me personally personally. Um, so I don't know, do you want to go through one at a time or want me to list them off right away so people can look them up and see how crazy they are? <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell us the names of them first and okay. then we'll uh, we'll go through them. To be so fair, the this is my first introduction to these type of books because okay. I, I, it is an adventure. So I am curious, girl. So teach me. Okay. <laughs> so the first book um, that I want to bring up, but not, I, I haven't, met very many other people who've read the book, but it's called Sheet Music by Kevin Lehman. And this book was given to me as a wedding gift on my wedding day to my first husband. And uh, we read that book on our honeymoon and uh, I was horrified. And I will go into details about that shortly. Uh, the second book is, everyone's heard of this one, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Um, that one, I think, is probably the most well-known, like widely in even non-religious settings books. Um, everybody seems to have heard of it. And then the third one I want to talk about, which I think is probably um, maybe the most harmful of the three, is Love and Respect by Emerson Eggerix. <laughs> um, this book is really, in my experience, was really, really promoted amongst married couples specifically. Um, for kind of setting up your gender roles and that sort of thing too. And this one has been widely criticized even within the Christian denominations now for being one of the most harmful books ever put out about marriage. Yeah, and that is saying something. Yeah. I actually remember that one as well. And like you, I received a stack of Christian marriage books when I got married. Um, I think I got them when I got engaged as well. Yeah. It, it was kind of unsettling because it seems like the uh, the idea is, well, we've hidden this information from you all this time. Now is the moment for you to learn all about love and marriage and sex and relationships and then like you, I was, I was horrified with <laughs> some yeah. of what I read. Definitely. So like I had mentioned earlier, I was part of the late 90s purity culture. I had the purity ring. And when I got married at 20, I was a virgin. I had true love had waited and all that. Um, so I was given... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that I was given this book as a as a well-intended gift from um, someone in my family because they knew that I was very inexperienced. And so this first book, uh, Sheet Music by Kevin Lehman, is literally a Christian sex book. It's like the Christian version of you know um, that really wide-known sex book. It does get quite graphic about details and that sort of thing, but um, there's a greater kind of philosophy of the book that I think was. Um, I think I'm not sure if my audio is cutting out or if yours no, it's is. On, it's on to God's. Oh, yeah, we're we're getting a. I don't know what I can fix. <laughs> um, do you want to try turning off your camera for a second? Sometimes that helps it kind of catch up. Okay, is that any better? I am here yes. perfectly now. Oh, sure. I can let me know if you want to turn it back. Um, yeah, we can try this for a minute. And then if you want to try putting it back on, oh, that's fine. Do the I have really good internet power. So hopefully that doesn't happen today. 
no worries. If anything happens, we'll, we'll bring it back in. Okay. Um, okay. So the sheet music is, is, like I said, essentially Christian's book. Um, it's it promotes according to God's plan, um, which I now looking back think is funny that it doesn't mention anything about concubines or second wives or any of that. Um, sex is designed for within the marriage bed only. It is obviously gender binary, not inclusive in any way. Um, some of the ideas that were promoted in it are, were that the glue that holds relationship together and that has this supernatural ethereal um, quality to it. So if something happens on a supernatural level when you become one the overall um, the point of the book, I guess. Uh, I want to say the couple things in this book that I think can look back now and we'll say we're somewhat positive in that it's enjoyable for both people it should be fun have you know be variable um there is some like i said graphic details <laughs> about positions if you're newly newly into this stuff which most young christians are especially if you're raised in purity culture um but what it what i think is more important as we talk about the kind of harmful things that came through on the ideas of this book um do you want me to jump into those now Yes, please. I think the audio is back up and working, so go for it. Okay. Um, so the cons of this book, I will say, is that it has the very typical kind of male, our visual, women, our emotional framework, um, that men's, men have needs uh, that are physical and they're frequent, and uh, there's real um, conversation about anything. If anything goes wrong in like that area, there's there's not a lot of conversation about be able health issues are going it's kind of this all or nothing men are like this women are like this and to have sex regardless of buyer so in a lot of ways it is promoting non-consensual um sexual relations there's little or no focus on low desire issues with men it's almost always focused on the women in this book and the other thing i wanted to say is that this book often calls women the bride and the men the groom so uh, when they're talking about like anything going on with it they'll say you know take your bride and do this and it's just very weird now looking back on it it was very disturbing to me even i remember when i was reading it i felt really uncomfortable um the the brunt of the responsibility for a good sex life is pretty much all on the the bride <laughs> to make sure things are going well and even um if there is something, if there's low desire on his part, it's, it's going to fall onto her of, of um, why maybe she's not being as seductive enough or that sort of thing. So it was really intimidating for me as a new, newly married 20 year old who hadn't, had no really experience with this sort of thing, uh, going into it, realizing that this huge apparent responsibility for my husband's happiness, well-being was now on my shoulders. And that was just the way it was. Um, that, it was a lot to put on a young person. And in my, my mind, I look back and I think I was quite childish in a lot of ways because I hadn't really had a lot of life experience at the time. So that is the Christian sex book, sheet music. <laughs> well, and that's a really good point. I think that that was a big kind of theme for me as well. I, I mentioned it, it was similar in my case too. It, I, I think a lot of the audience for these books is intended to be young newlyweds who don't have any experience <laughs> with yeah. sex and very <clears throat> limited experience with relationships prior to reading these books which puts a lot of responsibility 
on, I feel like, the authors of these books to present good advice and thorough and accurate advice. And I'm like you, I, I feel like some of these were a little bit lacking yeah. uh, in some of that. I'm I'm interested to hear that this one actually had uh, somewhat graphic details about right. sex. Most of the ones I received did not. Um, do you recall uh, what some of, without being too graphic, I guess, um, <laughs> <laughs> was it like the, you know, missionary sex only or, no. or did it so go into... That's the thing that I put in the pro. Like, I put like two things down that like this book did well in this one area is that it actually did give like some helpful advice about like positions and like if you're, you know, being on top or being on the bottom and like tilting, using pillows and stuff like that. There was some actual like decent advice in it. But the thing when I when I think about it now. I don't think I could take any of that in as actually like helpful because I had just come out of this phase where I had shut down everything physically. And like, I know a lot of people who've come through purity culture talk about this, that there's this like expectation that you can just flip that switch. And now you from, be, you know, you're, you're expected to be this very innocent and like not seductive at all person. And then the minute you're married, you're supposed to turn on your sex goddess, you know, switch. And that now I'm ex the, the thought to me was terrifying. It actually like scared me, I think, out of like kind of owning my own sexuality in that part, because I I was reading these graphic things. But like, make sure, you know, get here, get on your knees and like put a pillow under here. And at that point, I still like I had maybe just had sex one time when we read it. <laughs> so it was yeah. terrifying to me. It was really, really overwhelming. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, you know, it's, I'm glad it had good information, but, you know, like you said, if you're not in a position to be ready to, you know, emotionally or psychologically ready for that, it's gonna, yeah. Kind of and go I mean, right just the, head. the very fact that they just completely gloss over, um, like whether desire is there or they're not, like, not, there's no mention of consent because there is this idea that marriage is the consent. So, I mean, mm -hmm. if you take that to its logical conclusion, that's a lot of harm that can be done, um, on its own. So, and, and at the time I didn't realize that what was, what, what was missing. I just remember reading it and feeling like uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if this is the only sex education you've ever received, you don't have any other idea to fall back on. You're you're stuck with whatever they, whichever book somebody gave you, that's now exactly. all you know about sex. <laughs> and I remember reading one. Um, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that this one had actual advice about how to have the sex, because I'm thinking back to the one <laughs> I got. How to do the sex. sex. <laughs> <laughs> I got didn't have that, but I remember reading this one part. I think I've mentioned it on a different episode before, but I'm going to tell on myself. Uh, it, it had this part where it was talking about doing Kegel exercises where you like strengthen your pelvic floor muscles. And it was in the section about, you know, what the wife should do. And yes. because, again, like you said, you know, it's only husbands and wives in these books um, that are supposed to be having sex. And uh, the advice was that you should be doing these Kegel exercises very regularly, which, yes, that was probably good advice. But then it said you're supposed to be doing, I, I can't even remember, it was some ridiculous amount, like multiple sets of 300 repetitions, like several times throughout the day, every day for the rest of Just your life. make it a full-time job of staying tight, basically. Yes, it was like an extreme <laughs> wow. amount. And it said you, you should get so good at this. You might actually during yes. sex 
just all you do is lay there and do these Kegel exercises until your husband comes. Yeah, and yeah, pretty because much. Because I didn't have any other idea about how sex works, there was a period of several <laughs> months where I actually thought that was like what you were supposed to do. That is how you do the do the sex. You sit there in the sex clench. <laughs> I can like, imagine. This is like, really weird. I don't like this. Like oh, yeah, doing a yeah. regimen of kegels because like I remember like between having kids and like you know it's just taught as like good like vagina health you know but like I would like I'm like okay I'm gonna do like 20 and then I get five in and then I get distracted that I forget that I was doing kegels so <laughs> yeah oh my goodness yes <laughs> we need something in between these extremes <laughs> yeah and honestly, I haven't I, I haven't looked bored either <laughs> I haven't looked to see if there's anything better out there. This is this was given to me like 20 years ago now, but as far as I I can tell, it's still being sold. It does not really been updated in any way. So, um, yeah, it's just like very like the, I don't even think the author himself really understands like proper biology and like how things work because there is that idea of like that you need to do all this stuff but like that's not how it works <laughs> and like that's something I had to unlearn like 15 years later like oh learning how you know your actual body works because there's this like misinformation that you're giving it, not even necessarily directly but the messages that you receive from these are like how things work because they don't tell you anything actually helpful about that so you you deduct these ideas about your own body and about your partner's bodies and and like what every everybody needs out of relationship I think it also gives like so for myself being the bride in this book, I had, it gave me some funny ideas about what men wanted too, because I had this idea like that, like, oh, like, you know, they had this like release every two to three days, otherwise something's wrong. And then something I'm doing something wrong. And um, it, just like, even the idea of thinking as men, so like solely as like these visual creatures, um, you kind of gloss over the fact that like, of course, of course they are emotional because we all are emotional. We all have emotional needs. Um, it totally uh, takes away like the, the, everyone's right to have that emotional connection during any kind of intimacy. So it took a long time for me to even kind of honor that in my current partner, my current husband's, you know, his own whole person, because I, I still had this idea that like, oh, he's mostly a, a, a visual sexual person and it's mostly about a physical need. So that's, that's damaging. And that can, that can take a long time to get out of your system. Oh yeah, I agree. And uh, if you want to try turning your camera back on yeah, again, it seems like your internet has stabilized. Hey, yeah. there you are. Okay, just let me know if I need if I start cutting out okay. again. Hey, okay, I will. <laughs> Hopefully, I didn't jinx this with that. But, but yeah, I I think that is a really good point. One of the major themes that I took out of these books too was that it's got those just kind of just extreme stereotypes about genders where men are all this one way and women are all this one way and you're all like this and but here's what to do about it and there's just no room for men to have feelings or women to want sex <laughs> right yeah it literally limits it limits both people or whoever reads it limits both of you um because it does uh oh, yep, your, your, your audio your has cut out oh, again. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Okay, I'm I'm soon. I'm texting the texting my husband to see if he can help me with the internet. I don't know why. Um, yeah, tell okay. him to stop streaming. Yeah, totally. Whatever he's doing. <laughs> I was I was gonna say too, like the language that you described, like bride and groom, like it's very it's like a title 
and it's only supposed to be like for one day (laughs) yeah basically and it's just a very dehumanizing way to refer to each other because like I say like my partner or my husband you know because that's what he is (laughs) you know and to use like titles like bride and groom it 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 almost is like this is a function you have to do yes as your role rather than this being a connection between human two human beings that love each other you know or don't love each other like it's a good time so you know (laughs) I I just I I just don't like it just when you said that it made me like go like oh that's gross yeah it's creepy right and the other thing that was creepy in this book too is like it's a book about sex but you can't even use like the proper like naming for things like he calls the men's penis his happy part I think or Mr. Happy or something really stupid like that and it's like that's not a very mature way to have like this conversation with you know grown adult people who are you know entering into this phase of their life or whatever but I mean it's fine if you have a euphemism within your own relationship but as like an educational book of some sort to call it that it seems really bizarre. Yeah I feel like if you can't use anatomical terms in your writing maybe don't be writing about this topic maybe don't. I think you just yeah just maybe don't <laughs> just don't <laughs> like I I did forget like I know we're talking about purity culture from that from you know a charismatic Christian but like Catholics like I remember with my first marriage I had to go to classes on how to be in a marriage with priests who don't have sex and are not married so that's hilarious yeah so it is one of those things that like when I I it's been so long so I had to like think back on that I'm like holy shit I did do that like 25 20 years ago you know 20 25 years ago and it's it's very strange when you look back on it like how harmful even in both contexts the messages that you get especially as women and men you know what your roles are and what you're supposed to do and if you don't fall into those binaries like you know something's wrong you know and it makes you all paranoid and shit so it's it's very toxic and unhealthy yeah well okay so what else i know we've got a couple of more books to get through did you have any more comments on this one the sheet music just don't give it as a wedding gift. No, okay, not a good. <laughs> and if wedding somebody gift, gives it to no. you, just use it to light your fireplace. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> light a romantic fireplace with yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent advice. Okay, so I am interested to hear your thoughts on the next one, the five love languages, because that's one that I think a lot of people are probably familiar with and may not have realized was even a, a religious book. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's at this point, it's it's almost like a it's just an accepted concept that's in pop culture. Um, like if you watch any kind of reality shows, like I'm a, I'm a sucker for like reality dating shows. They're horrible, but I love watching them. If you watch any of those shows, or if you um, if you're seeing people's profiles online, like there's almost always a a reference to it. Like this is my love language. What's yours? And like, it, it's a common thing that people talk about now. Not to say that everybody has read the book, because I think if you actually read the book, you'll see the Christian um, undertone of it because it is written by a Christian author. And I mean, the book is really geared towards d- divorce proofing your marriage. Like the language is very, very clear in it. Um, so I myself read this book many times. Like it was my go-to as well. And it's really marketed as kind of like this fix all. Um, fix all kind of like, this is how you make marriages work. Um, But I think it's really simplistic in a lot of ways. And I think that the greater points being made, if there is one to draw out of it, is lost on a lot of people. 
So for anybody who hasn't read it, the book is, um, it's a book about expressing and receiving love. And there's this concept that Gary Chapman has created called your love languages, which, I mean, this is just an idea somebody wrote, I will say right off the bat, it's not necessarily an evidence-based theory that anybody's done any research into, but it is a, it's a good jumping off point to talk about how we express and receive love. The five love languages are words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Um, and I think that, like I said, it's a good jumping off point for it. Uh, but one of the things that gets lost in the greater culture is this idea that it's going to be like one or the other, that they're exclusive, um, not that they're like built on each other, or like sometimes you need one to have the other, and there's all this nuance to it. Um, a lot of people will think they have their love languages all figured out, but then you get into a certain kind of relationship and it turns out there's something else going on. So for my own reference, like I always thought I was an acts of service person. Turns out I'm not. It's just a nice thing I like to have when I'm living with somebody. Um, it's not really necessarily a love language. It's more of like a common decency. I found out later on, if I'm sticking to this book, I'm more of a words of affirmation person, if you will. But I, the truth is, is I can't live without it all of these things it's they all build on each other and it's this like evolving kind of network that you have on how you communicate with your partner or partners um i think that the the thing that does come up with it for people who are sticking very strictly to the idea is that love languages there are some there are some things that can happen well for one i have heard marriage counselors talk about this before that it can be used as kind of a scorekeeping method like, I, I know your love language is this, and I did this, but you know my love language is that, and, you know, there's a scorekeeping that you can do, and that's like a pitfall that happens, because this is not a very, really, it's not a very well-researched method or theory. <laughs> um, your love language can change, so you, like I, like my own story, you can read this book, and it can be a really good, you know, starter kind of thing with a relationship that's going to be long-term, but five years down the line, things change. You, you know, people, you, you move, you have different careers, you have babies or whatever, your love language can change. And, and certain times you might like need something different. So the fact that it's kind of like this, again, this kind of essentialism that like, this one's a little more nuanced, but it's essentially like, this is your personality and this is, it's static. Like it's going to stay the same mm -hmm. your whole life. It doesn't give a lot of room for like growth or change or just change in preferences. So there's a couple of pitfalls in it um, that I would say. And then yeah. the last the last one I would, will just say is that it doesn't have a lot of like um, emphasis on kind of self-love or like self-validation. It's very external. So if you're reading this and, and you haven't kind of done any of your own work to build up your own self-esteem, if you're low in self-esteem, it can cause you to be quite like externally focused for your validation. So those are kind of my, my nitpicky things about this book. And I think that if it's going to be referenced in the wider culture, if people should read it. <laughs> Well, there is some criticism, criticism coming out now um, in wider like um, psychology circles about this. Mm -hmm. The people that are relationship experts are saying like this is pseudoscience. This isn't really how human beings behave in relationships. You know, so yeah. there is there is pushback coming out against this book because I remember like I didn't read the book, but I remember like what's the love language and it was like in the nomenclature. So I was like, OK, I'm going to look it up. And I was like, well, I do all of these things to a varying degree in my relationship. And, you know, to to a certain extent at one time or another, because I could look back on like I've been married for 
I've been with my, my current husband, 18 years, my current one. Yeah. <laughs> like eventually I'm going to trade him in for a new model. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But like we've been together for a while and I'm like, I've done this to varying degrees all through my relationship. And this is not, and like you were saying, it's not fixed. Like it's amorphous and will change and move, you know, depending on what, you know, you need and what your partner needs and right. responding to what, fine to that. So even at the time, like I didn't take it a hundred percent seriously. Cause I was like that, that seems kind of sus. So, <laughs> right. And I, I think that if like, like for myself, like I, there's so many other ways that you can express love. Yeah. Like I kind of joke around with my husband, like one of my favorite love languages is sending people funny TikToks that I find. If I do that, it means I love you. And like my husband will often send me a song that he, a song on the, on Spotify that he heard. Like that is like a, a way that we express love. Mm-hmm. doesn't really fit into the framework, I guess. I mean, maybe it could be uh, giving a gift, but not really. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's, it's not exactly like, like you said, it's not, it's not held up as like peer reviewed, um, like psychology research and what, how we know is the best way to like have a fulfilling long-term relationship. So it is probably best made if it was just like a blog post that somebody thought of one day and it was an interesting read, but then move on. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's definitely got a hold so, so much in the broader culture. Yeah. And I think part of that is because it's so simple, but like you said, that it's simplistic in a way there are more than five kinds of people in the world or five kinds of ways to show love. So yeah, I think it's like those personality tests too. all the, you know, Myers-Briggs and everything. It's a lot of fun to take the test and you might get a few insights about, you know, some habits that you have or something, but it's not a complete explanation of who you are as a person and all the nuanced ways that you like to give and receive love and yeah I, I I will say that the thing that I wish that would get spoken about more is if they're going to bring up the five love languages and the thing that I take away from this book if I'm going to really pull out something of value is the point that maybe the author was trying to say but did it poorly was that this idea of differentiation that your partner is not you and that you have different ways of of you know, communicating. So if that's the point that people are taking away when they read it, then that, that would be really helpful, actually. Um, so if one person likes this, that doesn't mean you have to, and it, there's no right or wrong way to be a person, and you're going to be different from the people or peoples that you're involved with. Yeah, like empathy, that's a good skill. We should all do that more. (laughs) Yes. um, This kind of struck me when, as like, you're talking about coming from like, you know, you're, you marry young, you know, if you're from purity culture, so, you know, you get into like one relationship with one person and you read this book and then it's like this idea, like, well, this is how it's supposed to be. And these are the ways that I'm supposed to express myself, you know, within these contexts, you know, because it has that Christian undertone to it, you know, it feeds into these ideas of roles. Like this is, this is, this is how you're supposed to function in relationships. And if you don't have a broader context or you haven't dated a lot, you haven't had different relationships, even with friends, you know um that there's certain expectations that are put upon you which i i also think it's like terribly unhealthy right and if you read the full book and Mm -hmm. the examples given by gary chapman they are very like heteronormative very christian like patriarchal like the references almost exclusively talk about the men being a physical touch person and the woman being a words of affirmation person which kind of falls back into this like men are physical men are visual whatever and and women are all this way so there's not a lot of like examples given outside of that framework so even if you're reading it as a secular person there's a subtle influence there of like christian values Mm -hmm. 
Yes, that was one of my big takeaways from this book, too. Um, it, it felt like it was kind of saying it without saying it, like, here's some gender expectations yeah, for you. Exactly. <laughs> Again. <laughs> like, why? Um, and they did a really good job of not making it explicit. Like, you could almost read that book. Well, not if you if you read the book, you would realize it's coming from a religious perspective. But you could read the highlights of it and have no idea this was a religious book. But yeah. they do oddly, sneak it in there. Oddly, the first edition was more Christian, more um, out, like outright out, outright Christian. They've actually like this is just from my research. I have no idea what copy I had, <laughs> um, but oh, yeah. they have done different iterations of it because it did hit the mainstream. So like, so it's, it's like been in the top sellers for like 20 years or something. Like it is such a popular book to give and re read. Um, there has been actually a couple different editions made. And I think that they have taken out some of the, I know that he was widely criticized for one of the examples he gave because it was, it, it did have um, pretty blatant, like victim blaming when, Oh. that kind of stuff too like they're, they're it's been worked over a little bit to be a bit more acceptable so there yeah. so has this fallen into like the self-help yes kind of okay all right this, yeah this is, it totally has if like, you look this up, sounds like self-help shit <laughs> yeah it is if you look up like if you go on amazon and look up marriage books it's going to be in like the top 10 okay cool all right yeah. I, I, like i i had i had that sneaky suspicion so <laughs> yeah yeah so then i guess kind of the the takeaway on this one is has some good information, but shouldn't be taken too, too, too seriously. Is that basically? If you have to dig that personality test. Yeah, it might be just yeah. It's a jumping off point, right? It's a jumping yeah. off point, and like if you have to dig that hard to get the like nugget of wisdom out, then maybe don't hold it in such mm -hmm. high esteem. That's kind of my take on it. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's For it's sure. not the Bible of relationships. We could say. Speaking of which, <laughs> the next book, <laughs> the, yes. my third and final book that I want to bring up is I I have written down here the worst one because <laughs> this one I think I, I is just that you can find story after story after story online of how much harm that this particular book is called. And when you say that that it's not the Bible of books, this book practically self describes itself as the biblical, like inerrant unchanging truth of how god designed men and women <laughs> so this next book is the love and respect by emerson i don't know how to say the last name egger egger egerix i already hate it sure <laughs> but i'm already like cringing inside so <laughs> yeah yeah uh this book is the i mean the key takeaways are that like wives are made to love they want to love they expect love husbands are made to be respected want respect and they expect respect uh, when a husband feels disrespected it is especially hard to love his wife when a wife feels unloved it is especially hard to respect her husband so you got a lot of you got the circularity happening here and you can probably already guess who who it falls onto to fix it <laughs> mm -hmm. let me guess it's women's faults to start with of course always Oh, because of Eve's <laughs> original sin, right? Well, so this book has a lot of biblical references. Some of them oh, are very no. much cherry picked. Um, I mean, it, it, that's what we all, that's what they all do. But um, this one has a lot of biblical references and see, like it pretty much is like self declares that this is like the true interpretation of what God has created 
people to be like within a relationship. There's very, it's very inflexible with what that is the main need of, you know, these two specific genders <laughs> that women need love above all else and men need respect above all else. And so there's countless examples of how to make that happen. Um, this book is actually noted as a source, even in Christian uh, domestic violence resource centers for being, for contributing to domestic violence amongst uh, Christian couples. It has pretty blatant um, references that, that would absolve abusers and blame the victims. Um, it doesn't have any kind of adequate address. Like there's no way, nowhere in the book that it adequately addresses abuse, never mentions mm -hmm. anything about the cycle of abuse. Um, one of the examples in the book gives, uh, it's an example of a woman in an abusive marriage and talks about how she should allow her husband back into the home after he's repented, never mentioning the common phenomenon of, you know, love bombing, which is part of the cycle of abuse. Um, so it catches, especially women in these relationships in a, in a really tough place when they're having marriage troubles and they reach for this book because they are going to feel responsible to be kinder and more respectful to their possibly very abusive partner. It, it gives us that message of like, oh, I can change him. If I can, yeah. if I behave in a certain way, he won't be an asshat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, it, so we gross. know the biblical references to it. There's, you yeah. know, there's a, there's a biblical reference for that. If you have an unbelieving spouse and it's kind of like, take that, but then stretch it out over an entire, like whatever, 800 page book or whatever it is. Um, it's that idea that, yeah, if you are a godly enough woman and you submit and you respect enough, then you'll get the love that you need too, because he won't like, he can't help, but love you back because that's how God designed him. The problem is, is that's absolute bullshit. And there's nothing about that. That <laughs> is how people actually function and work, especially when somebody is an abusive or an mm -hmm. abuser. That is not the last thing they need is more respect. So there's there's no boundaries here. There's no way to protect yourself if someone's not treating you well. It means you're not respecting them correctly or loving yeah. them correctly. Yeah, mm. exactly. Mm. Um, again, it's the essentialism. All women are this way, and all men are that way. And there's no there's no anywhere in between. And even I think the the main claim is is false as well. That that mm. is the. I mean, you get the false claim, and then you get. There's extreme rigidity with how how to you know how you break that down into a day to day marriage. Um, it's just like extremely extremely harmful book. Mm, yikes! And again, to go back to what you said earlier, you know, being a young person getting married, going into what could be your first serious relationship, and receiving this book as one of the only sources of advice that you get, that could be really impactful. I would think on on your whole relationship dynamic. Yeah, I mean, I read this book when I was with my first husband, and I, that relationship only lasted three years. And it's not like it, he was not abusive. We were just not a good match. But I remember even at the time thinking, like, this is a book that, again, mar marketed as like, this will fix everything. It didn't fix our incompatibility issue. Um, it it made me act weird. It honestly did. It made me act weird. And it kind of encouraged me to manipulate him in a way. Mm -hmm. um, he didn't know what was going on necessarily. And it gave, honestly, it gave him a little bit of like this inflated ego that he deserved all this respect or whatever too. Like, for for what? We were just having like conflicts like in other ways. But anyway, that I have my own ex my own experience experience this book thankfully it didn't cause me to get into harm but I know people I can tell you people I wouldn't but I know people who have yeah I, I yeah exactly I know people in my life that have um 
had direct harm because of this book in particular. Like, and there's this sort of attitude. Um, we talk about like women's issues because, you know, in the Bible, we're treated as second class citizens, which is gross. But like these ideas of men are supposed to behave a certain way, like, you know, what the patriarchy teaches them. And if they're not that way in a relationship, that there's certain needs that have to be met, that they have a certain personality type, not even, a, I'm, I'm not even talking about abuse, just your personality and what you want to have a relationship. But you know, if the, if these ideas are teaching, like you need to be this way and you need to like, you know, like be the man and be the head of the household and all that bullshit. Like it's also harmful for men, you know, that don't want to follow into those patterns. Just yes. as bad enough it is for women. I have to pull up a reference because I, I, there's a book and I mentioned it last time that uh, Cara and I were on secular sexuality. Um, <laughs> it's a book about, um, I think it's called the tough standard, but it's talking about that, that, that the incongruence between what we're taught or for, especially the whole book's about, um, you know, being raised masculine and like the incongruence between what they're told they need to be like versus what they actually feel like and mm -hmm. how it causes this like extreme, um, it can cause all sorts of problems emotionally and depression and all, because they in themselves don't even uh, fit that standard of this, you know, this masculinity that is promoted in these circles. Um, cause it's not, it's, it's very rare. And honestly, some of the things that they're explained on how to be are fall closer into like the psychopathy section than anything else. So there's a right. lot of the really sweet, emotional, emotionally attuned, um, men out there who don't fit into that box themselves. And so it causes them a lot of distress too. It hurts everybody. Yes, yep. absolutely. And I think, you know, we kind of tend to spend a lot of time talking about how, you know, this can be harmful towards women and, and generate abuse and everything like that. But it's harmful to men, too. These are outrageous standards to be asking anybody to to try and make themselves well, into. Like, like yeah. Aaron, you said that you adapted a certain personality to like, you know, get sort of like an attention or response from him. You know, and in certain contexts, you know, if you are, if you're the type of person, like a woman that can use emotional man manipulation, emotional abuse, you know, um, and gaslight somebody into thinking yeah. they're actually in charge, but you're the one that's turning the head, that's emotional abuse. And, and, that know, is such and that's more subtle and more uh, dark underbelly. That yeah. is a very common expression, actually, like within women's Bible study. It's like he's at, I don't, I'm going to get it wrong. I'm sure Deneen is listening. She probably remembers it. It's something like he's the captain of the ship, but I steer it or something. Yeah. And it's like this whole idea that like you are subtly manipulating your husband to act the way you want. Um, and it's, it's this, it falls right into like this book. It's just like, yeah, he's in charge, but is he really in charge? Or am I just kind of like making him think that so he is nice to me and loves me? Like, it's just really weird and, and really um, I don't know. I, I hate the word. Yeah, I was gonna say toxic. I was gonna say I kind of hate the word toxic because it's so undefined. But yeah, it's toxic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you're not being of... genuine with one another, and that's yeah. the problem. And because if you're manipulating in any sort of circumstance where you're trying to get somebody something from somebody else and not seeing each other as full human beings within your relationship, you know, just roles. You know, you you're taking away the humanity of each other. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of the running theme, you know, in each of these right. that we've picked up on is this idea of, you know, making people into these these stereotypes and caricatures of themselves that are not realistic at all. 
It's yeah. very unhelpful. I think the undertone here is like this, it's prescriptivism and it doesn't work. And like, there's, there's lots and lots of evidence that Christian marriages aren't any more successful. And I mean, often there's a lot of statistics that say they're less successful than mm-hmm. other ty- other types of marriages that are that are out there. So it's not that there is, um, if we're looking at this from a secular viewpoint, there's this, these, these concepts are not um, evidence-based. They're not based in any, you know, solid research or, um, you know, things that you can actually like stand on the research of how this, how people interact and how to best resolve. And when you have a uh, rupture or repair in your relationship, like this doesn't give you any advice on that. Just what, like bring him, bring him a beer when he gets home from work. Like that's not going to make your relationship any better. It's not going to fix the fact that, you know, one of us wants kids and the other one doesn't or someone cheated. Yeah, exactly. It's well, just... he cheat he cheated on you. You just need to love him more. <laughs> well, yeah, right. he won't no, do that, that again. <laughs> the advice would be is that he he wandered because you weren't giving it up enough. Oh yeah. That's, oh yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. your fault. It's your it's, fault. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had one like that. Um, it was that same one I was talking about earlier, um, where it, it even it straight up said, like, you need to watch your weight. Like if he has a yeah. wandering eye, you better be careful and you need to lose weight, most likely. And had all these yeah. anecdotes about, you know, oh, seeing couples. Disgusting. And yeah, it, it's so unhelpful. I was like, are you kidding me? Really? Yeah. This is the advice we're getting. Okay. Like my husband's cheating on me because I like tacos. OK. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That five sense. pounds made all the difference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, all right. So I don't want to make light of some of the, you know, very harmful effects yeah. that, you know, some of these themes and, and concepts can have. But um, as far as these books go, I'm wondering, can you think of any particularly funny or silly bits of advice that you got out of these that just make you giggle? I can't. I, I can't. I, I have this one that just, it never left me. I just always remembered it because it was so odd um, from the book Sheet Music. So that a first one that we talked about, the Christian sex book, um, the author was talking about a situation where the groom uh, walks by and grabs his bride's breast. Um, and his advice was to rather than step back or recoil to um, offer the other breast too. <laughs> and and kind of it was almost like liking it to likening it to Jesus of like offer the other cheek and so that was like an example of four wives so if uh, if your husband if your husband at the time grabs you unexpectedly uh drop what you're doing and take your shirt off kind of thing and give him the other one it's it was so odd <laughs> wow okay <laughs> yeah someone said it in the chat turn the other tit <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah it stuck with oh me. my goodness that is really bizarre. <laughs> I I like it. That's uh wow. Okay. <laughs> I I want to know where this where does this advice come from? At what point is someone writing this book thinking, "Ah, this is an important fact I need to impart to the the young ones." <laughs> I don't know. You don't get when they don't get their ego checked regularly. I think these these authors cuz most of them are male authors too <laughs> and they've been in the they've been in the this circle for too long and they, you know, if they're already kind of like living within this this system, it's not like their partners or wives are, are going to speak up and embarrass them because that would be disrespectful. So <laughs> they just can r- run away with these concepts with like almost no checking at all. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Because I guess if they're, uh, you know, the head of the relationship, and they also wrote the book on good relationships, their yeah. their partner is required to 
tell them that everything they say is correct, I, I assume. It sounds a little culty, if you yes, ask me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, that's funny. I feel like that that needs to be our, our new uh, motto or something. Turn the other tit. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be laughing about that one for a while. Okay. You're not going to forget about it either, because I, I never forgot about it. So. I'm not. I'm not. It's going to be like the, the eagle exercise sex. I will never forget that. <laughs> Really funny. Okay, so <laughs> moving on then, um, I know uh, one of the other topics you were going to talk to us about this evening uh, that goes hand in hand with some of these books and relationship advice was premarital counseling. Now, I remember going <clears throat> through that as well. I also, like you, got married very young, first major relationship, and they had us go to this premarital counseling situation that was... Uh, it was an experience. Uh, tell us about your experience with that. I think I had a, a like not as common of an experience because I think there are some actual premarital counseling that maybe does give some proper advice. Uh, maybe like talk about how you're going to join finances and who knows. My yes, experience was not yeah. that. <laughs> uh, we were told that we had to go to premarital counseling as well at the church. At the time, it was a Baptist church that uh, we went to. And it was just a meeting with the senior pastor. And it. I sat down and I don't think this person had any kind of training in counseling, not even biblical counseling. That would have been a step up from it. Um, and definitely no counseling, like a, a couple's counseling or anything like that. So what it ended up being for me was a four week, one weekly session where we sat there and came up with all the words of the alphabet that started with C. So caring, compassion, compromise, cleaning, concerns and it just went on from there for like four weeks straight and I swear that was the whole outline we just came up with words that started with the letter c and tried to figure out how it could work with marriage and I just looking back now it makes me laugh because I know pastors and their alliterations for their sermon outlines <laughs> I think that's all it was <laughs> you think and, he was using y'all to come up with new yeah, material I really, I really do I think he's like these are here's some young people maybe they know more words than me so you guys tell me all the words you can think of that start with the letter C. It was so somebody, unhelpful. Somebody said in the chat, um, sounds like Scattergories Christian Marriage Edition. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> it really was. I was, a, I was a full on devoted Christian, but even I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever been forced to sit down and do. I, what a waste of my time. So, um, but I think that other ones in other churches, I think they like, do have a curriculum or an outline of some sort. This guy didn't, but. We got to tell everybody that we went to premarital counseling and we got to get married by the pastor. So that's, that's all that happened. <laughs> wow. Like, like, I'm just curious. It's just, it's like a sidebar, like how many people like marriages and they're in front of a psychiatrist and say like, our pastor gave us horrible advice and we don't know how to ma manage our relationship. Like can you, yeah. like, I can imagine that happens more common than people right. think, you know? <laughs> I think, I think like, so to be like completely open my my husband and I <clears throat> now we've we've had marriage counseling we've been together mm -hmm. for going on like 13 years now and we have two kids and and we actually like love marriage counseling when you get to like with an actual like good counselor it helps a lot mm -hmm. with communication and you know just figuring these things out he also came from a Christian background so we both had these like weird gridlocks that we had 
from being raised in the church. There was just like certain things where we would just not communicate. Um, <clears throat> so we've both kind of deconstructed those ideas and it was really helpful. And our, our counselor at the time, he was like, yeah, this is such a common misunderstanding. And, and he, he said without saying it because he, um, he knew our backgrounds that like, this is this, I see this all the time. <laughs> He's like, this is a a common one. Don't feel weird that you guys are having this a hard time dealing with this common this issue because it's practically every couple that comes in the door, and it's it's actually like not um, like you know just just breaking down some of these common myths we had about marriage. Like, and it was helpful. If any, if anyone is like, even if things are going really well, I highly recommend getting in with like a good counselor because um, there's like just always room for improvement too. Yeah, and I and I think that's the. You know, because I also with the ideas with like, you know, purity, I'm going to call them purity marriages now. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah um, like, you know, that there's certain, <laughs> if you do these roles and if you do the thing that you're supposed to do, you're going to have a successful marriage and everything will be fine. And yes, you, it's the uh, purity, um, prosperity gospel. That's yeah, what I've called for, it before too. Yeah. yeah. If you do it this way, you're going to be rewarded with this like f- super great sex life and a fulfilling marriage and everything will be peachy. Yeah, but we know, like, and you, but you were saying, like, hey, you know, I, we went to marriage counseling, and my my marriage is better for it. You know, like me and my husband, you know, we haven't been to counseling, but I'm sure if we need to, I'd be like, you know, we're having this gridlock. Maybe we should talk to somebody. You'd be like, okay, fine. You know, um, and having those open communications and having those open door, doors. But if you're in these purity marriages, they're saying like, oh no. You know, don't t- go talk to the secular psychiatrist. Yeah. You just, if you just follow, follow the recipe, yes. you're going to have this beautiful chocolate cake, but really it's <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it looks beautiful on the inside, but it's filled with shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Or like, it's like only go to biblical counselors or Christian right. counselors. Exactly. Or- which is also not a good idea. Yeah. It's this, it's this kind of keeping the gatekeeping of like, or you know, I guess the opposite of gatekeeping, but like keeping you within yeah. this little bubble of making sure that you yeah. don't get any, any advice that falls outside of that framework. So. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. people can be Christian counselors without necessarily having a certification mm-hmm. or anything that would be recognized, you know, outside of the church. So even though they're calling themselves counselors, they may or may not be qualified to the degree that they would be certified as a counselor in their state. And a lot of people, I think, don't realize that. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's a, it's know your certifications in your state or province. If you're in Canada, like know what counselors have like what they need to have to actually be know what they're talking about because yeah I mean I think Shannon has a really big Shannon Q from from Shannon that's what Q. I was gonna say I'm like I can hear Shannon Red. I can hear Red Shannon in my head too <laughs> in my head. Shannon did like this huge breakdown about like what biblical psych or biblical counseling and like what that actually means and it's like it's just it's infuriating so if you go look at it um make sure you you know who you're going to see and what their credentials are and what kind of what's their um theories that they use and uh and yeah make sure that they're not going to be subtly suggesting anything that's like of of um, a religious undertone and if they are but they're stating that they are you know the certified clinical counselor then they also need to be possibly reported because that's you know that there are heavy ethical restrictions around this stuff so but if you're a biblical counselor and you're doing counseling out of a church you get to just skate by all of that so mm-hmm. you know 
Yeah, but check out gonna... seculartherapy.org yeah. if you want a counselor that is actually licensed yeah. Yeah, or using evidence-based therapy. I'm just going to put the sidebar out there. You have every right, if you're going to go to therapy, to interview your therapist. Yes. You, if, if for a first session, like have conversations, you know, and do exactly what you said, Aaron, you know, talk about like what modalities they are, where they get their education from, you know, um, what is their view of counseling? Because if you find that you start having conversation, you're like, oh, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Then you, like date, like you're dating therapists, yes. like find a good relationship with the therapist. Like, do you would like you would find a partner, like date them. <laughs> yes. know, do some and don't, don't actually date them. Don't actually date <laughs> no. them, but like, but like professionally date. <laughs> yeah like shop, shop shop around yeah go shopping find, like, find somebody that has the same you know the same value system or like that you're kind of wanting to stick with in and like yeah I think the keyword here is like evidence-based like go yeah. go find people who are going to be using proven and like the modalities that are actually helpful not ones that are like go read a chapter of Ecclesiastes every day if you're struggling with your sex life or whatever you, know, you can hold the rose quartz and meditating your heart will open Aaron, you know so that's funny yeah I, I took it I took a dip into new like new age stuff for a while so that's I, I was in it for 13 years girl so yeah I, I hear yeah. you yeah I bought so my husband that, a citrine rock when we started our business <laughs> I love it that that kind of makes me uh wonder um do, how do you think you would have approached relationships differently had you not been exposed to the ideas you got out of these books, but instead right. something different? How did your perspective change over time or what do you think might have been different? I I can't answer that 100%. Like, how would I have acted differently? I could very well be, you know, at the same place where I am right now. I think that um, with my first relationship I think that the, the I wouldn't have gotten married just flat out I wouldn't have because I I knew that I wasn't ready yet and the marriage happened because of a lot of pressure at the church because honestly I'd been dating this guy for four months and so the next step in everyone's mind was to get married so had I known that I could have just said no and that I could have even just said not right now um, I would have because that was just a tumultuous three years of my life and it was a kind of I mean, I, was, I say I, I regret it, but I mean, like, what, whatever. I, I was young. It was just a tough time, and it, I learned from it. But I think that would have changed like, my view on what marriage was. Um, I, I think I did do things differently with my my current husband. <laughs> I hate saying current husband, <laughs> but I, I th we did do things differently. At that point, I had realized that purity culture was bullshit, and so we didn't wait. We lived together. Um, you know, it was it's totally different you know, way that we started off that relationship, we ended up getting married too, and it, we're still married. And um, those things are different. But I think that the biggest thing that changed the way that I see my husband and um, view relationships was actually when I accepted evolution, <laughs> as odd as that sounds. That was really? when my biggest mind shift happened. Yeah. Oh, how so? Um, the taking your taking it away from being like we're these creations of god and there's this ultimate kind of thing that we're like working towards as a marriage even just the taking away that idea that like your soul ties and like all this spooky honestly like spooky supernatural stuff with um relationships and just seeing my husband as a an ape and seeing myself as an ape really helped <laughs> we're just like there's a whole bunch of reasons and explanations behind how we behave and why we behave and uh, being social creatures and understanding how important you know our attachments are and and childhood stuff and all like really accepting that and kind of looking at it through that lens 
really, really helped me. And um, more than any self-help book I think ever did. <laughs> um because I mean you can have a lot more grace I like like I have way more grace now as an atheist for my husband than I ever did as a Christian and I think he has a lot more grace for me now too oh that's a really interesting perspective and I see what you mean it's it's just it's more authentic it's there's not all this you know magical prescriptions yes. about if you do the formula you're gonna get this like no you're not things are messy sometimes yes yeah. It's just messy and we're just like we're all just like creatures or not creatures like creation but we're all just animals trying to get our needs met and like if people screw up i screw up everybody screws up sometimes and um we know a lot more about humans and how we function best than i was ever allowed to know before when i was a christian so it's just like this interesting field where i got to like learn about was like oh we've actually done like experiments on like relationships and stuff and uh we actually all these like nebulous questions that i thought were just kind of like you have to pray on it there's actually some pretty good answers out there because yeah. we've been trying to figure out how people's people work in relationship with each other for a long time so i mean it's not perfect we don't have all the answers but there's a lot more answers than i ever thought there were there, and there's some really good like people that actually study relationships as like their fields in yeah. psychology that maybe you should go read their books. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely. know, on conflict resolution and what makes a good marriage, then like going to your pastor who, or like in my case, a priest had never been married. <laughs> so yeah. which happens, you know, and it's not healthy. So, you know, like seek out the professionals, people. It'll it'll it will serve you better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I love that distinction y'all are making too. Like the difference between, you know, something that's been researched versus something that, you know, we want to tell you you're supposed to be this way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in in a lot of religious faiths, it seems like, especially in, in Christianity, if you're focusing in on the New Testament, you know, love is this central concept. It's, you know, you're supposed to really have a good grasp on what love is and how to love people. And I like that focus, but it, did you ever feel like the love that is being prescribed to you is is you're kind of getting some mixed messages about what that is actually supposed to look like in practice. Oh, like a hundred percent. It's honestly the most confusing message, really. Um, I still sometimes think like, what on earth were they trying to get me to to know here? Because they they teach love at the same time as they kind of um, subtly emphasize judgment or you know discrimination mm -hmm. or uh and it's different like when you're talking about like they like to talk about like the love of your child but then they talk about like this discipline and like this harshness that you have to take and you have to use what is the thing like spare the spare rod, the rod you know, spoil the like, child yeah. and then you get with like that the, train up a child bullshit right. that's, that's yeah and then it's just a child abuse <laughs> yeah and it's just a yeah. subtle difference when they talk about romantic love right it's like mm -hmm. they talk you can get on very current uh conservative christian marriage podcasts and hear them talking about like how they need to steer and discipline their wives and and like it's not that different from the parental model of love which is like this mix of fear and and love and judgment and you know like it's just it's not that healthy whereas we we know now there's still like i mean the topic of love is still it's still open for a lot of people where it's still a conversation going on but one thing that is for sure that i've learned outside of the christian framework is that generally love is defined um with the absence of fear or judgment <laughs> and so those are 
kind of incompatible ideas, I think, which is Christianity kind of tries to shove them into the same spot, but they're like pretty incompatible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Okay, well, we are getting close to the end of our time here, but I would love to know, as we kind of wrap up, uh, could you maybe summarize for us, you know, what are some elements of marriage and relationship literature that you would consider to be red flags based on your experience? If you pick up a self-help book and it starts talking about this, right. uh, take it with a grain of salt. Well, I think that... <sighs> I not that there's necessarily like a certain phrase, but if you are reading a book and you're picking up on these I, these kind of elements of essentialism, where um, you get any kind of language you're talking about, like women need this and men need this, anything that is very rigid like that, you're kind of already on a bad <laughs> on a bad track for getting actual helpful advice because that is uh, it's just not accurate at all. We know that almost everything in human nature. Um, exists on a spectrum so that would be maybe like one stark way you'll find out in the first chapter of a relationship help book that it is not the right book for you if you are anywhere on that spectrum <laughs> which we all are so that was probably my number one kind of advice to to steer clear of and definitely as mentioned earlier like know who you're getting your advice from whether it's a counselor or if it's an author look at their credentials and see like where are they basing their theories in because if you just saw woohoo-y, which like kind of like a thing that is um, just an idea, people have ideas all the time, people have theories all the time, but the solid uh, solid things you're going to read are going to have something to support it, some, you know, some reports and things like that. So do your research, <laughs> not to sound like that, but <laughs> <laughs> evidence-based. Yeah. Yeah. YouTube is not research, people. No. <laughs> University of YouTube is not research. Yes, exactly. Even though you can find us on there, we are also yes. not research. We just point you in the direction of resources. Speaking of which, do you have any resources that you would recommend for us, Erin? I do. And I, because we like I'm talking from my own my own life experiences, like I said, I've been I've been serially monogamous as most of us are. I mean, a lot of us are. Um, I I think one of the best relationship, uh, long-term monogamous relationship books is What Makes Love Last by um, John Gottman. Um, John Gottman is is one of the most cited um, clinical marriage researchers. Uh, his, his his methods are all evidence-based. He's stuck couples in rooms and studied them for days and days at a time. Um, like his, his work is solid and um, there's a lot of like his his methods have been put into practice for years and years. So I mean, he's a pretty solid person to look for. Um, the other book that I'm just currently reading and finishing up here is called Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel. Uh, this one's a more creative and flexible look at relationships, even long-term relationships um, and how to balance things, kind of like your comfort and your safety and this excitement and kind of chaotic part that we all kind of crave too. And that one is, is very queer and poly-friendly. Those are my two faves. <laughs> Oh, I like it. I, I knew you were going to help me add to my Goodreads list, and now it, it's happened. I so, still have time to read. <laughs> well, I didn't say I was going to read them. I said I was going to add them to my list. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, sorry. Oh, okay. There's list a disclaimer faster there. <laughs> than my ability to, to complete it. But uh, I know I've definitely heard of Gottman. He's, uh, he's the one that, that has the... Uh, sort of is it like the four kind of like red flags in a relationship yeah he's pretty like it's widely 
widely known and and Mm -hmm. and cited in most marriage kind of stuff now so mm-hmm. i know dr ray knows who he is <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, i got a thumbs yep. up there we go <laughs> all right that is it is approved add that to your reading list now <laughs> all right i was well, gonna jump in but then i realized i get a, i get a whole time to talk later but i'm gonna talk about gutman thank yeah. you. <laughs> okay. I knew you i knew i knew you were sitting on the edge of your seat daryl i knew <laughs> and it's almost that time too so We'll, we'll get to you in just a second. And before we do wrap up and go to Q&A, um, Aaron, do you have anything else you want to leave us with? Any thoughts to share? Kind of wrap it all up in a nice little package. Um, I think my takeaway here is that there's, there is no miracle formula for love. Um, there are indeed lots of well-researched and evidence-based theories out there. Uh, read widely, explore, and don't accept any one person's prescription for how to find or keep love. I like that. I like that too. That is wonderful advice. And I really like that. That makes me feel good. That's very good advice, Erin. Thank you. That really did wrap it up with a bow. Yeah, I know. Wasn't that nice? (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Well, okay. It's about time then to go to Q&A. But before we do, um, Erin, where can people find you? Do you have any links? Yeah, you can find me like on my, you can get get a hold of me on Twitter for one thing. Um, I'm not on there a whole bunch now, but I am still on there at Twitter at um, xchristianarian. It's xchristian spelled E-X-X-T-I-A-N. Aaron, E-R-I-N. Um, you can find me there, um, but you can also find me over at Truth Wanted um, on the Atheist Community of Austin. Uh, it's a call-in show. It happens every Friday night at 7 p.m. Central, and I'm on there um, once a month or so. I've also um, been on Secular Sexuality as of late, too, and will be on there on Thursday, so you can check me out there, too. I will see you on there on Thursday as well. That's right. <laughs> yeah, don't forget to check that out. Okay. So I guess now would be the time to go to Q&A. So let's see, we have a few questions here. And if anybody else has a question that they would like to ask, go ahead and type it into the chat and we'll collect it. We'll get through as many of them as we can in the next 15 or 20 minutes. And let's see, to start out with, someone asked, Oh, I'm not sure what this is. They ask, um, in your religious community, did y'all do something called resting in the spirit? Do you know what that is? Yes. Um, soaking is another one. Although it has a different reference for Mormonism. (laughs) It's not soaking like that. That's different. Um, but yeah, yeah. Resting, like you're just sitting in and kind of like, uh, I think this is what they're talking about. Anyway, you're kind of often to be like lying on the floor and you have like worship music on or something. And you're kind of like in this like trance kind of like state and just absorbing all the goodness. <laughs> if that's what, if that's what they're talking about. Yes, we did that. Can't you just do that by smoking a bowl? Listening? Absolutely. Or just literally putting <laughs> yeah, on, so, just saying. Literally putting on any of your favorite music. I actually still use that as like a, my mm-hmm. own, um, a, like a regulating thing. Sometimes right. like I get overwhelmed and I, I was a bass player. I like bass. Um, I married I, a bass player. So yeah, I appreciate something happens to my brain when I hear bass. So when I'm over stimulated, I will put my speaker on and I'll put it on the ground and I'll lie on the ground and listen to my music. And that is my secular soaking that I still do. Secular soaking. Okay. That I, sounds kinky. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, go look up soaking in Mormonism. That's way more kinky. <laughs> okay. 
could be a lot of directions this goes. Okay, we'll talk more on Thursday. All right. <laughs> Helen, do you yeah. have a question? Yes. So um, somebody was asking, um, do you have any comments on the overt sexual themes in medieval Christian mysticism? So can you can you say that one more time? Yeah. Any comments on the overt sexual themes and medieval Christian mysticism? Ooh. Yes, like the uh, Jesus, like the paintings of Jesus with vagina. It's like one of my favorite topics. <gasps> yeah, I think that's Wait, what talking what? about. <laughs> I want to see Jesus with vagina. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this, but um, one of my favorite things I ever learned about during my deconstruction was this. Um, it was an, the nuns. I wasn't raised Catholic. I'm gonna get things wrong here, but there was like this whole kind of group of people who became like really enthralled with like the the side the wound on the um side of Jesus during his crucifixion and there was like poems written and like these huge things devoted to like the femininity and the like the sexuality of like the slit on the side of his body so if you look if you look it up you can see paintings from the from that era too um and it was kind of mostly I think it was written by the by nuns um not necessarily monks um and like there's kind of like this like overt kind of gay undertone to it I don't know it's like it's actually like really cool <laughs> and if you haven't looked at it go look it up it's like one of the most fascinating things I would have never heard about it during my uh, my days at church because of course not but um, I was Catholic and I didn't know about this but now yeah I, it's kind now of like I have to, now I have to go do a deep dive <laughs> yeah yeah it's fascinating and there's still like there's paintings of it and it's just it's a picture of a vagina but it's um or a vulva but it's referenced as jesus's wound yeah there is so much to unpack there i'm like i'm like i'm getting georgia o'keefe vibes like georgia o'keefe i'm definitely gonna fall down this rabbit hole we're gonna fall down the rabbit hole it's fantastic it's one of my favorites That is excellent. Googling now. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, uh, someone else was asking, uh, in the books that you were referencing, uh, to what extent is the expectation about sex that it is just meant to be a means of reproduction? Or is it more than that? Or what was the uh, messaging there? I don't think that in the books that I was talking about, it was emphasized as much as it is now, honestly. I think that it definitely is an undertone, but I mean, in the, in the book sheet music, like it definitely did talk about pleasure. And I, it's kind of one of the pros that I put on that one in particular, because it is supposed to be fun and pleasurable. Um, the emphasis is more about fulfilling the sexual needs of your husband. And I will say that when I talk about getting a message without getting the message, without saying it directly, um, the sheer lack of conversation about different types of, of methods of contraception like there's a lack of conversation about about it because there is this undertone that you won't use it because you're having sex within a marriage so it is like always for the the use of God to make a baby if that's his timing or whatever so it's kind of like this weird um undertone because of the lack of information if that makes sense um but no it wasn't like always overt that it was meant for reproduction it wasn't um it was definitely the Protestant book category as well, too. So um, maybe that was part of why that is. Yeah, I think that was the case in the ones that I read, too. Yeah. I, I later looked up one of them, that same one I keep referencing. I looked at a later edition of it, and they had added a chapter about contraception. But the whole point of the chapter was basically, you don't need to use that for various yeah. reasons. Uh, don't worry about it. God will decide. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I 
that is that is the undertone for most of those books is that it's not really up for you to control and you can't play god by doing that and i mean in other books there's going to be more overt um references to like the pill being an abortion an abortative or um mm. you know just just thwarting god's plan on your life so it kind of depends on the framework you're coming from but um if it's not said it, it is said it's implied in a lot of these books mm -hmm. yeah i think that's right oof well, that's All not right. a good idea. <laughs> no. No. All so, right. What else um, do we have? So um, would you recommend the five love languages book? I'm going to say probably not with a caveat. <laughs> I, I would say because it's so common, you mm -hmm. should read it. So you actually know how to like address it when people bring it up. Um, okay. But don't, don't read it to like take it in and, and live by it. But I mean, I, I'm of that position where like, you should just read everything that you can get your hands on for the most part. Um, it's not a tough read by any means. You can, you can get through it in a couple of days. Even. It's not, it's not a complex book. Um, but because it's like a cultural reference point at this, at this, a cultural reference thing at this point, and it's so widely accepted, you should know what it actually says. If it even just skim it, or like get that um, Blinkist and do the 15 minute <laughs> summary thing, just something, have some understanding of what it actually says. Yeah. So when you're on, you know, a dating app and it asks you what your love language is, you could at least attempt to answer the question. Right? Tacos and tequila. Exactly. <laughs> That's my love language. <laughs> well, and so here's a follow-up on that about the love languages book. Uh, someone said, um, I very much don't want to get divorced, and I think that is preventing me from pursuing romantic relationships. And to a certain extent, I would like to divorce proof a marriage, quote unquote, uh, but not necessarily from a Christian perspective. I have ADD and I feel that I need tools and systems and techniques to help me be successful. And I like the five love languages as it provides a sense of structure and organization that I feel I thrive on. So I'm curious what your thoughts are about this. Yeah, uh, systematic things. I'm a systematic type thinker as well. So I think that um, is why I like the the other book, the, the John Gottman's stuff, because it is also somewhat systematic. It does lay out kind of like here, like we said, the four horsemen of of relationships ending like it, it is. I, I do appreciate that it is quite clear. So just because it's um, not listed as like the top five love languages doesn't mean there's not other systematic ways of looking at your relationship or um, when you when you meet with somebody too like a counselor they often do have outlines and things for you to work through um there is better options basically is what i'm saying um look for things that have a bit of more of a systematic way to go through it because i, I mean that's a really that's a really normal fear to have that you don't want to uh commit a long time to somebody and and have it end unexpectedly and but at the same time you can't always um, predict what's going to happen so you can just do the best that you can do right um and don't get involved with somebody who's going to be abusive and that kind of thing too so do your yeah. own a bit of self-work too before you get into it mm -hmm. yeah that's right mm -hmm. and and this is completely my opinion here but you know sometimes it seems like the the best option is sometimes to leave the relationship uh and if that's the case that's that's not a failure that's the correct decision so it's yeah i that i was gonna yeah i'm glad you brought that up too because just even like this fear like this i don't want to get a divorce thing like why why is that coming up in the first place like this language around it like it can't ever end if it was you know if it started like there is um there's something to deconstruct there too if there's um 
such a fear of it ending. So you, you can kind of, I mean, that's like kind of like a lot of people get stuck with like procrastinating and other things too. Like if it can't be perfect, I don't want to do it at all. Um, and that is something to kind of maybe like think out, think about a little bit deeper and um, just look into a little bit more about why that is so scary. Um, mm -hmm. But reasonable, mm -hmm. it's a reasonable fear for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like nobody wants to be in a relationship that ends because, you know, they accidentally acted like a big jerk or you know, something yeah. like that. <laughs> I didn't and, use the love language. Well, and also too, it was like, so I'm easy add, and I didn't do it. <laughs> I'm going to have my two students in there as a newer divergent person that has ADHD. Um, there are better structures that you can use um, to get that structure to work on relationship issues than using the five love languages. Like there are, there's better resources out there because I know as a neurodivergent, I like pattern, I like a little bit of stability because we have crazy brains. Um, we have very busy brains and very distractible brains. I don't want to say crazy because that's not the right term. We just have a different brain and there's better tools out there than to use that as a tool. And also too, like, if this is something like I'm going to advise again, go to the secular therapy project and maybe seek out marriage counseling, seek out, you know, uh, or look or connect with someone that can give you better resources um, and work on those issues. Cause you know, whether you get a divorce or not, whatever tools you're going to need are going to either help you in this relationship or any relationship going forward yeah. as a neurodivergent person, also that want someone that wants to have healthy relationships. Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, healing, and support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There, you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering from Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering from Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.